This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday, August 3rd. We've got a lot of conversations coming today. In segment two, we're going to take a look at food prices. Michelle Klieger, ag economist, noted speaker and professor at Bentley University, will be joining us to talk through what's happened over the past six months and what could be happening to retail food prices in the future. And in segment three, Allison Rivera, the executive director of government affairs at NCBA, will be joining us to take a look at the farm bill priorities of the nation's largest Cattlemen's Association. And at the end of the show, we're going to talk markets with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Before we get into all of that, however, today is the first Wednesday for the month, which means this first segment is devoted to the monthly grind. Our program from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association taking a look at what happens to that corn crop after it leaves your farm. Joining us today for this segment is Troy Schneider on the NCGA team and Kate Maher from NCBA and producer of Cattlemen to Cattlemen. Folks, thanks for joining us. And Troy, I want to start with you. These partnerships that NCGA has built up over the years, how does it help bring value back to corn growers? Well, Mike, it's good to be back with you today on the monthly grind. It is very important. Those partnerships bring value back. Um, you know, if you just look at exports, our top beef export customer is Japan. And when you look at what red meat exports added to a bushel of corn, it was 11.5% of the price of bushel of corn in 2020. So, um, you know, we, we always say it's a little here and a little there, and it's very important to have those partnerships. And we're excited here today to talk about, you know, we can talk about ethanol, we can talk about all of our other products, the new usage we have, but um, what's near and dear to my heart is the livestock industry and especially with the, the cattle industry and feeding those cattle out, with uh, making sure they're fed with corn. Absolutely. You know, as we think about corn demand, that livestock feed has has been the, the first pillar of corn demand for so long, even though, of course, we now find corn in so many other products throughout the economy that I'm sure we'll get to on future Monthly Grind episodes. But today, we're focusing on that major feed leg of the corn demand stool. And to help us talk about that is Kate Maher from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Mike. My- such a pleasure to be here with you and Troy today. Thank you. I tell you what, it is summertime. The weather is hot, which means grills are firing up. Let's talk about beef. Kate, as you think of the beef demand story here in 2022, how's it looking? You know, we're looking really great. Grills are firing up. And, you know, I tend to think that cows are just about the more perf- most perfect animal for many reasons. But mainly because we can take that great product that our, that our corn farmers raise for us and, and turn it into something that is in demand not only here in the U.S., but globally in that really great U.S., that, that grain-fed beef that, uh, you know, consumers all over the world want it. And we've got a great story to tell in so many ways between beef and corn. And so, as Troy said, that partnership is just so critical. Um, you know, we need that great seed going into our cows to make that beef that's uh, going on grills across the across the country uh, this this summer and uh, really around the world all, all through the year demand is looking really good it is and one of the great ways we can increase corn demand is by increasing demand for beef the animals that eat the corn and kate i know ncba has been working very hard to help make sure that cattlemen across this country are up to speed education wise can you tell us a little bit about what kind of educational programs you've been putting on Sure. We are really fortunate to have a great partnership with the National Corn Growers Association. Um, We work together to bring a lot of information to producers um, in terms of, um, you know, keeping them up to speed on on latest technology information to make all of us better and and keep that demand, keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's that's around the globe. You know, we export a lot of corn through beef. Um, That's really important. Uh, We are fortunate, again, to partner, partner with NCGA. Um, on a series that we've been doing on Cattlemen to Cattlemen. Uh, we've just got such a great story to tell together. It's really been fun 
to go across the country. We started at the seed yard in Nebraska with Mike Drennan talking about sustainability practices and in corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. Um, that goes on to the next next step um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef. Um, we then went to uh, Certified Angus Beef, our friends at Certified Angus Beef in Ohio, did another great show there talking about um, the, the demand for that, that beef and, and how consumers are reacting to it here and across the globe. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do another series and, and do it, uh, talk about those export markets that are so critical to both corn and beef. Kate, from, from your perspective, coming from the beef side, how does the demand look? How is the consumer demanding that grain-fed beef? Do we continue to see them paying a premium for that type of product there in the grocery store? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, uh, the friends, uh, our friends in um, NCBA that work on, on demand programs, you know, it's a great story to tell. Consumers want it. Consumers will pay for it. We've got the right product, um, and, and beef and corn together make that right product that people will pay a premium for. There's a lot of product, too, that goes overseas that those consumers, those consumers want. They want that grain-fed. They want that tender beef. They want that well-marbled grain-fed beef. Um, again, I just don't think there's anything that goes better than beef and corn. We always joke about the dynamic duo partnership between beef and corn, but I don't know that it's that much of a joke. I just don't know what better fit that we have. But, you know, consumers are really demanding it. You know, there's no, no secret that beef prices are high, but we've got the best beef. I mean, we've got the best meat that there is and the best protein source out there. And so it's really fun to see consumers react to it in a positive way. It is. It, and it's just fun to see that and to smell it cooking up on a grill. Oh, so yeah. delicious. Kate, of course, you are on location. You're down in Texas prepping another episode of Cattleman to Cattleman. But I wanted to turn the focus to the airwaves. I know you've worked with uh, with NCGA on uh, the Cattle Call podcast as well. Can you tell our listeners where they can hear more uh, from that podcast? You bet. Uh, if they just go to our website, ncba.org. Um, there's a, there's a whole outlet there. You can follow us on social media. We put out a podcast at least twice a month, um, anywhere from, um, from the fun podcast that we do with our friends at, at the Corn Growers Association, um, just to all other kind of aspects of the, of the industry, whether we're talking to producers about some ways that they're diversifying their operations or finding more value and ways to, uh, to make it a little more sustainable, um, you know, to, uh, to friends um, in pasture management and animal health. Um, there's just a lot of education out there. Um, I think the, the most exciting thing about the partnership with NCGA is the information and education that the producers can learn from each other, just in sharing their stories, uh, watching it on Cattleman to Cattleman, hearing it on the podcast. Um, there's just so much information to share among each other. You know, we have a great story to tell in both industries. I think the greatest asset and the greatest stories come from the people that do it every day and that we are just so proud to work for. Um, those are the best stories to tell, and that's where the best education and information comes from in my mind. Absolutely. And, Troy, before we let you go, of course, the market development team is working. Are you excited about the opportunities coming this summer? I am. I'm very excited about the opportunities that we look out, you know, and to the demand of beef, how strong it is. Um, you know, the, the market's going to be uh, well-placed over the next few years for that beef product to be put out there across this country and across the world. And I just want to quickly say thank you to NCGA for, and NCBA for all they do for us. Absolutely. That partnership between the National Corn Growers Association and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is resulting in delicious steaks for folks around the world. All thanks to Kate and Troy for joining us today for this month's Monthly Grind. Folks, more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. 
the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past six months on this program, we have been talking quite a bit about inflation. Of course, we've noticed it really in all aspects of our lives. Certainly, I think perhaps more than most in the food and fuel categories. Energy prices have been nuts. And of course, we've seen similar stories over on the side of food and really commodities more broadly. The question is, what does that mean long-term for agricultural demand? It's a big question. We're seeing prices in flux right now. And as we map out the next six months, it's good to turn to folks who watch this stuff for a living. And one of the people who does that is Michelle Klieger. She's an ag economist and the founder of Stratagerm Consulting. They work with businesses throughout the ag supply chain all the way to the retail end, and she has worked around the world. She's authored a book called The Demise of Free Trade, and she is a professor of economics at Bentley University. I feel like we're in good hands on this topic. Michelle, thank you so much for joining AOA today. Thank you so much for having me. I Yes, inflation is on everybody's mind, and I actually enjoy talking about it. So what do you want to know? Well, let's jump right into it. We know that we have seen food prices climbing at the grocery store. Everybody has noticed that. Michelle, where do we see this food price spike hitting the hardest? What sector of the grocery store? Is it still meats? So according to the stats from last month, you are correct. Food prices are up and in the grocery store up um, about a percentage points month over month. Um, and hitting 12% year over year, which is the highest in 40 years. Um, It has shifted a little bit though, and the biggest increase in that grocery store in the last month was really butter, sugar, sweets, cereals, and baking. So um, on that baking and cereal side, still some of those higher commodity prices playing in. Interesting. And And you mentioned sweets and sugar in that category as well. They're lumped in together when the the government is calculating inflation. Well, they're looking at the different items. Generally, um, a food basket is used of about 30 items that 
consumers have historically purchased at one time and that basket moves up and down and is thought to be representative of what we purchase. So the sugar and the, and the um, grains being in the sweets and the butter piece is definitely pushing those items higher. An interesting thing about the basket is that it does take one item, um, I'll use chicken breast as an example, and looks at the price of chicken breast over time. But as we've seen more product differentiation in the grocery store, that has its own reasons for higher prices or different prices. And so the basket actually takes an average of all of those. Michelle, that is a really great point. The idea that product differentiation makes inflation harder to categorize because now if I've got a chicken breast that's been marinated and marketed that way, it's a value-added chicken breast. Are you seeing food companies pursue that angle as a way to, I don't want to say hide these price increases, but perhaps mitigate their impact on the consumer? Um, I think that there is some interest in value added. Uh, a lot of the smaller grocery stores that I have spoken with recently, um, these prepared foods are high in demand um, and it does give you a little bit more room on the margin side for sure. Um, it also is labor. We're seeing that cuts of meat and products, uh, depending on how much labor is also causing at the production side and at the preparation side, people to reconsider what products they want to make available. So I would definitely add in labor as part of it. And this interesting uh, study that I came across last week, Dr. Akunto, um, I believe at BC University here in Massachusetts, where I am, um, actually showed that food inflation has this huge impact on how we think about inflation as individuals in a country. And so Food is something that you are buying multiple times a week and you're buying a lot of different products. So people that are the primary shopper tend to feel inflation more because they've been watching week over week as these prices go up. And when your whole basket is getting more expensive, like you mentioned wheat and then I mentioned these other products, suddenly it feels like everything is more expensive and we take that to the rest of our lives. And then in rural America, with both food and fuel being up so much, if you're driving farther, you're getting that reinforcement too. And these are the two categories that broadly speaking in the US, we are seeing the highest inflation in gas, fuel, uh, energy and food. And Michelle, it sounds like we might be starting to get some good news on that front from the consumer's perspective. Crude oil has pulled down a little bit over the past six weeks, and I understand we're also starting to see that tipping point develop in the retail food prices. Yes, uh, there are. So we have seen it in commodity prices for sure. Um, since the world prices peaked, several months ago, wheat and corn have both come off of their highs, uh, good for the consumers. Fertilizer has also come down for, I think it's seven weeks in a row now. Um, so that is good on the input side for producers. All of that being said, we are seeing lower prices or a little bit of this tipping point. Um, but they are still elevated from a longer viewpoint. So prices are down a little from their peak, but relative to what we're used to paying, still kind of high. Michelle, I don't know if this is in your wheelhouse. I know you work with a lot of domestic companies here in and throughout North America, but globally, we're seeing these higher food costs around the globe. Is there one place that's being impacted more than others by these elevated costs? Um, I would, my, so I do a lot of trade. It's hard to say, I think, which place is impacted the most. There's a lot of policy pieces that come into effect. Um, some of the reasons for the higher prices are, you know, weather and, and poor crop or reduced yield, as well as the Black Sea region being taken off the markets. Um, and they're a major producer of oil seeds, sunflower oil, as well as grains. Um, so with Russia and Ukraine supplying a lot to 
the Middle East that and that region being so dependent on affordable wheat prices, that I think is one of the largest risks is when those prices go up, can the governments continue to subsidize and provide affordable food to the population? Yeah, and I think a lot of questions remain to be answered about that, particularly, as you mentioned, across the Middle East and perhaps through Africa. We'll see how that plays out. But, Michelle, obviously, of course, when you're in the business as as an ag economist, a lot of your work, I imagine, is forecasting. It seems as though everybody's confused about where inflation goes from here on the food topic. Do you think we've we've peaked? Do you see downtrends coming at the retail level for food uh, in the short term? So I have to say, I I do think that we're close, if not have peaked. And the reason that I would give is that we have seen over the last 60 plus years that as food prices go down, um, consumers eventually, when food gets to below 10% of your budget, you start to eat out more, which is a more expensive product. Um, And so there seems to be this threshold where we are always willing to spend more than 10, about 10% of our income. And with the pandemic, everything shut down. So much of the food was bought and brought home, eaten at home. And that trend has almost reversed. We have seen a dramatic uptick in eating out. And so to me, that means that people are having some income to be able to choose some of those meals outside of the house and not consuming everything at home. Also with food inflation at home rising faster than away from home, I think that that might shift consumer demand a little bit as well. That's interesting. So we're seeing consumers... Ah, we're seeing consumers buy more from home than they are dining out right now with these elevated prices? Yes, Um, but the food inflation in the grocery store has ticked up faster than away from home. And so, and we're seeing those those non-grocery, so restaurant markets recover pretty quickly from the pandemic still. So for those reasons, I do think that we're close. Um, but consumers are also adjusting their products. So there was a big article about how wings are down and people are choosing instead of wings that they're going to choose more affordable leg meat or you might see less beef and pork and chicken. So I think our diets are going to continue to adjust as the food prices continue to fluctuate. People are reading those price signals coming from the grocery store. Michelle Klieger, principal at Stratagerm Consulting. You can learn more at stratagerm.com. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And folks, stick with us. We'll have more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Both stock futures and commodity prices firmed up early today as U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's plane took off from Taiwan as the global markets gave a big sigh of relief that a major immediate military conflict with China has been avoided. The VIX is trading near 23 this morning, reflecting some easing tensions on Wall Street, while crude oil prices are modestly higher as OPEC meets to discuss changes to production, while grain and oilseed prices are mostly higher this morning as well. 
Now, OPEC agreed to raise its September output targets by 100,000 barrels per day, according to a Reuters story this morning, which is a fraction of what the West hoped for and anticipated. The move is being interpreted by industry sources as an insult to the United States after President Biden traveled to Saudi Arabia last month in an attempt to convince one of the cartel's more influential leaders to increase output at a faster pace. Now, keep in mind that Russia is also another influential leader in that cartel. The agreed-to increase equals 86 seconds of consumption, which is a trivial increase at a time when demand continues to rise, with the exception of China, where COVID restrictions continue to hamper economic activity. The August Stonex customers survey pegged this year's U.S. corn yield at 176 bushels per acre late yesterday, with the soybean yield pegged at 51.3 bushels per acre. Both fall below the USDA's corn and soybean yields of 177 and 51.5 bushels, and some anticipate that other private estimates will be similar to possibly a bit lower, followed by USDA's revised yields that will likely be similar on August 12th. Let's get a look at those commodity prices. September corn up one at 592 and a quarter. Beans August up a half at 1569 and three quarters. Wheat Chicago September down a quarter at 774 and a half. Kansas City September unchanged at 842 and a quarter. And the Minneapolis September wheat that is up seven and a quarter at 880 and a half. The dollar is sitting at 106.5 and crude oil is trading up a couple of dimes at just around 94 and a half dollars a barrel. This is AOA. I'm Richard Ristvet. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA Today, ladies and gentlemen. In the first segment, we heard about the awesome opportunities for American grain-fed beef from Kate Maher there at NCBA, along with Troy Schneider of the National Corn Growers Association. Now we're going to turn our focus to another aspect of beef production, which, of course, is the policy umbrella under which we all operate. Joining us for this next segment is Allison Rivera. She's the Executive Director for Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and she is getting back to work after their summer meeting wrapped up in Reno. Allison, thank you so much for joining us on AOA today. Happy to join you today, Mike. Before we get into everything that was under discussion at the uh, summer meetings there for NCB, uh, <laughs> NCBA, I apologize. I want to talk to you first about the concerns I'm hearing from producers out West. Allison, a lot of folks gathered in Reno. I imagine there were a lot of Western producers in location, in location there. And of course, that drought and wildfire threat continues. What are you hearing on the ground from producers out West? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've been keeping our eyes on, on the drought situation, you know, kind of across the country. But you're right. We did have a lot of Western producers out in, in Reno last week. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's not getting any better. We're seeing an uptick in, in devastating wildfires, particularly the McKinney fire up in Northern California. But, you know, there has been a lot of attention uh, in this space from Capitol Hill on the legislative front. There was a House package on the floor last week. But you know, Mike, the, the bottom line is that we need more active management and better tools for our producers so that they can have some more, more security, particularly in that wildfire space. That is true. Got to keep that that fuel from igniting and not having the fuel there is the first step to that, I would imagine. Allison, I, I want to turn our focus to the, the other topics under discussion. And as we look ahead to 2023, major commodity groups around the country are gearing up for that farm bill discussion. I imagine no difference there at NCBA. Tell me what was under discussion with regard to the farm bill in Reno? 
Absolutely. So at our meeting last week, we worked through our, our grassroots policy work that, that we're very proud of at NCBA. All the things that we're going to talk about and push for in this 2023 Farm Bill come directly from producers on the ground. Um, and so some of those items that came up, you know, obviously we're going to continue to protect the animal health provisions that we received in the last Farm Bill. That foot and mouth disease vaccine bank, as I lovingly call it, can also include other vaccines uh, down the road. Uh, but right now it houses FMD, and we know that uh, that is, continues to be a huge issue. Uh, foreign animal disease continues to be a huge issue for cattle producers across the country and around the world. So we want to make sure that we uh, continue to support the, that uh, vaccine bank. Absolutely. Sure I, I did want to just real quick on the vaccine front, Allison, of course, your vaccines have worked their way into the public conversation here over the last two years. Has that helped or hurt the conversation about maintaining herd health here in this country with regard to the vaccine bank? You know, I, I, I think talking about vaccines, uh, I, I think, it, you know, it's very different whether you're talking about human usage or, or the, the usage in livestock, I believe. But, you know, I think as we see uh, what's going on um, down in Indonesia um, and the concern that Australia has, I think that items like that really point towards the continued need, particularly in the animal health space, to make sure that we are protecting, again, not just against FMD, but but, you know, our friends in, in the pork industry are dealing with ASF and very nervous about that. Um, you know, there's just a lot going on in that vaccine space. But um, from NCBA's perspective, we're just going to continue to focus on the, the importance of having a U.S.-only bank to, to protect our herds here in the U.S. That's right. There are a lot of threats floating around there in the world to keep the American herd prepared is crucial. And one of the key points to that is the American cattle producer needs to have the resources to be able to act on these things. And so risk management is vital. Was that under discussion in Reno? Yes, sir. So, uh, again, risk protecting risk management programs, programs like livestock risk protection have seen a huge uptick in the last couple of years. The usage has gone through the roof, and that's great to see. Um, but we've got to make sure that our producers have the resources underneath LRP uh, so that they are, they are able to use it. Um, so we're going to continue to look at that. We're going to continue to support programs like pasture, rangeland, forage as well. We're also going to take a look at uh, disaster programs. You know, unfortunately, we see disasters, whether drought, wildfire, hurricane, tornado, you name it, we're going to continue to see issues like that come across. Uh, across the country and affect our producers, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot. And so we want to make sure that those disaster programs like Livestock Indemnity Program, Livestock Forage Program are there and available and have the resources that they need to protect uh, our, our members. We also, the last piece is voluntary conservation. That's going to continue to be a, a hugely important uh, item for our members, particularly programs like Environmental Quality Incentives Program. Absolutely. Equip has helped so many growers across the countryside. Allison, is there still broad-based support for these kinds of programs for the cattle industry after two years of, of talking about uh, uh, the trouble that the cattle industry is facing on the marketing side? I, I do I do believe so. Again, particularly on the RMA side, you're seeing usage of these programs, you know, double and triple. So it's clear that you know, whether there were producers that maybe just didn't look completely aware of all the programs that were available to them, or they just realized that these programs uh, do work well for producers. You know, again, part of this is just making sure that these programs work for our producers. It's one thing to want to use them, but then we, if we need to make tweaks, we can take that opportunity through the Farm Bill if necessary uh, to make sure that the tweaks happen and then they are the most usable, uh, easy to use for our, our members. Absolutely. So with the Farm Bill discussion underway, that grassroots uh, uh, process at NCBA has started. What are the next steps? How long until policies are, are codified for that big discussion here around the 23 Farm Bill? Sure. So they went they went through our board at the end of the, the meeting, uh, the, the, the big uh, board of members, um, and then they're going to go out to all of our NCBA members over the next couple of weeks for their, their final final uh, check the box and, and make sure everyone is good with, with things that we put forward. But, you know, when you talk about grassroots and the farm bill, it is going to be so important that cattle producers across the country take the opportunity through these field hearings that particularly the House has done a lot of lately, and you'll continue to see that uptick in the Senate as well. 
Um, take the opportunity to talk to your members of Congress about the importance of the Farm Bill. We are going to have an influx of new members of Congress that have never voted on a Farm Bill. We have a ton of current members of Congress that have never taken a vote on a Farm Bill. We have a ton of urban members that con- represent urban districts across the country. We have to get in there, myself, my team at NCBA, as well as producers on the ground, and remind members of Congress how important it is to get this 2023 Farm Bill done. It is indeed, because we're seeing a lot of action in D.C. that definitely impacts the bottom line of folks in agriculture. Allison, I know NCBA has been working very closely on the SEC's climate disclosure rule, and recently Senator Thune proposed a bill that would uh, perhaps mitigate the impact of that. Could you bring us up to speed on why NCBA is supporting Thune's Food and Energy Security Act? You know, there's there's that bill. There's quite a few bills kind of in this SEC over-regulating space that have continued to pop up because there are members of Congress that realize that over-regulating our industry and trying to do things that are going to be very difficult to actually implement on the ground are just not going to be possible. And they are just going to end up being burdensome over-regulations on an industry like ours where we are the, the best um, – we're the best at what we do. We manage the, the land, soil, and water, and we always have, and we will continue to do so. Absolutely. So on that SEC front, this is the climate disclosure rule that would require public companies to announce their greenhouse gas emissions, but that also means they'd have to compile them from all of the folks in their supply chain, including cattle producers. Uh, Allison, does it sound like this rule is still going to be under discussion, or will it get nipped in the bud? I, I think that's that's yet to be seen, but again, we have a ton of members of Congress that are looking at exactly what you just said and saying, how is that even going to be possible to go down that whole supply chain and, and gather that data? Um, and and so I, I think there's a lot of members of Congress that are just scratching their heads saying, no, this, this is this is not the right way to do this, or we do not agree with this. And so there are a lot of pieces of legislation that continue uh, to pop up like the like uh, Senator Thune's bill. And we'll continue to support items like that um, as we, again, continue to talk about the over oh, this, this idea of over-regulating uh, agriculture and particularly the cattle industry. Absolutely. That is always a concern. And Allison, I did, before we let you go, we have been talking about the risks that foreign animal diseases present. And of course, some of those can be brought in to our country through the airports, through the ports by folks carrying them in their bags. We need to sniff out those potential causes of foreign animal diseases. And I understand beagles are really good at doing that. NCBA supports the Beagle Brigade. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, the, the beagles at, at these ports of entry are so important. You know, our team in D.C., you know, they're, they're obviously the cutest of animals anyway, but they do such a great job and they are so important. They have caught so many um, items that have tried to come across the borders uh, and do our ports and whatnot. And we need to make sure that they are not living uh, essentially paycheck to paycheck and that they are fully authorized and um, and that the, the training center has what it needs. So we're, we've been very supportive of the Beagle Brigade um, bill, and uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that they are able to do their job every day and do it well as they do. Absolutely. Allison, before we let you go, all of the policy issues that NCBA is covering, you keep track of on your website, you post updates. How can our listeners get involved and check that out? Absolutely. NCBA.org, we have our 2022 policy priorities. We'll have those Farm Bill priorities up there uh, as soon as we get those completely nailed down and you can see a lot of the items that we continue to work on every day in our office in D.C. Fantastic, folks. Be sure to check that out, ncba.org. Allison Rivera, Executive Director of Government Relations for the organization. Thanks for joining us today, Allison. Thank you, sir. And when AOA returns, folks, we're going to take a look at the markets today with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, 
and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you what, if you're in the ag industry in 2022 and you want to keep up to date with what's going on, I highly recommend that you subscribe to newsletters from anyone you think who has good thoughts about the industry because there's a lot of great newsletters out there. And I was reading one this morning and it really got my brain thinking. I was reading Chris Robinson's from Robinson Ag Marketing's morning newsletter and he made a point that we live crisis by crisis here in this country. And that just struck me as very, very true as we wrap up one of the most recent crises, which was, of course, a Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to China. I want to take a look at what's going to happen to the markets now that that crisis is coming to an end. Chris joins us today. Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you, sir. Let's talk about what's going on here. We are seeing some weakness in the soybean market today. Chris, is this spillover weakness from that Pelosi visit or has the market moved on from it by now? Honestly, I think the market moved on. Uh, you know, we had a nice rally last night. Uh, we've been, now we're into the point where we're, you know, soybeans are made in August, right? So we're in that critical point uh, for soybeans and we're, you know, we're already looking at people discussing what the yield's going to be. But it's certainly disappointing. It looked like we may have carved out, carved out a bottom uh, last night and yesterday, especially once uh, Speaker Pelosi, you know, nothing really bad happened, which was uh, probably a sigh of relief for everybody, no matter how you look at it. So I think a lot of people were also concerned that if there had been a dust up with China, you know, China buys uh, uh, quite a bit of our soybeans. So I think that was a, uh, an issue right there. But unfortunately, now it's just like seems like we're back trading technicals and money flow and um for better or for worse november soybeans do not like going above 14 dollars that seems to be the wall we're looking at so what's the next crisis for the next issue i think it's going to have to be the uh, people are going to be talking about the strong dollar number one and also too what's a, what's the usda going to tell us on the 12th um that's that's a, a actually a pretty risky report if you go back and look at it over the last uh, four or five years. And what is it about the August report, Chris, that makes it a little riskier? Because it, it is a market mover, I don't want to say more often than not, but I think on about 50, 50% of times. Yeah, it is. It's uh, that it used to be the January report could really hurt you now in the last four or five years. You know, it's just kind of the timing. And also, too, if you're right in the middle of summer, right in the middle of yields, if they make any changes at all to the supply and demand, that could impact. And just to go, and I, I do a lot of research, I went back and looked, we, we made a multi-year low in 2018 on this report. So it can be significant that that low uh, in 2018 was, you know, it was the uh, kind of the line in the sand for a long time. Believe it or not, it was down at 833 in the soybean. So I'm not predicting that's going to happen again. What I am saying is that these reports, they are a specific point in time where everybody, uh, end users, producers, uh, bulls and bears, you have a chance to recalibrate your risk. And that's why it's, uh, that's why it's such a significant thing. And the only thing you can do, I don't care if you're bullish or bearish, you just have to make sure that you've got your business risk covered, if you can, uh, with some sort of hedge. So I've got clients that, you know, they get hurt if beans go higher. We've got calls on and for my producers while well, we're trying to protect this, uh, you know, this 1350 level at, at least, because what we don't want to see is a trip back down to, $13 or $12, uh, that's, that's the risk for a producer. So um, it is real. And, uh, you know, you've got a specific point in time. It's like getting ready for the SATs or something when you're a kid. You know, you know it's coming on the 12th. That's right. It can't sneak up on you. It's published. We know it's on the way. Get that risk managed. Looking at the risk that's out there, Chris, you mentioned we're trading technicals as we watch these weather forecasts develop. And I'm curious, from a technical perspective in the corn market, how are you interpreting that gap that we've got sitting there here from, uh, well, a couple nights ago? Yeah, typically, you know, I've been in this business for 30 plus years. Sooner or later, they want to go fill the gap for better or for worse. It's just uh, there are computer programs out there and chart traders. So that, that gap is down there. It looked like they were going to go get it last night, and we partially filled it. So, you know, once we again, yeah, like everything else, once we, if we do fill that gap, there'll be something else that we'll be concerned on. But soybeans, again, you know, excuse me, uh, new crop corn at $6. Okay, you know, it, it, we started at the year where I know some people thought that 540 corn was a good sale. So we're still at $6. What you don't want to do, again, is be in a situation two, three, four months from now where we're looking up at $6. You didn't take advantage of it because you didn't think it was good enough. Um, so, again, 
take what the market's giving you, uh, get, get your risk on paper, um, and, and, and just make sure that you're prepared. Uh, we, we may get one more chance. You know, if we get a weather market or things turn around, we may get one more run up above 625. Maybe we get a run back up to 650. That's not a problem if you're a long, if you're a producer. What's the problem is if you watch corn go from here, we're at 590 here. You know, I don't want to be talking to guys when we're at 520 two, three months from now saying, well, you know, I didn't do anything. So since you don't know, if you don't have a crystal ball, the only thing you can do is get some sort of hedge on there. And, and I always tell guys, I don't care if you hedge 100% of your risk or 10% of your risk, just get something on paper so uh, you're not completely blindsided if the market moves against you. Right. You don't want to be left flapping in the wind. And well, winds can make flags flap. Chris, you highlighted the wedge pennant formation forming in the August fat cattle market coming up on delivery. Which way do you think we're going to break out? You know, it's funny. The People complain a lot about speculators. The speculators are getting back on the long side uh, of cattle. Uh, they're getting back on the long side of hogs as well. So that cattle has seen people come into that. I think if they get an excuse to push it higher, they will. Um, also, too, depending on what happens with corn, you know, there's an inverse relationship uh, to knee jerk. If corn goes lower, people automatically want to buy the protein complex. And lo and behold, today, if you look at August, we have poked above that 138 level. Um, that's a new high going all the way back to April. So uh, there you go. Uh, the market is trying to break out of that wedge. Now, where we end the day, where we end the week, uh, you know, that's another s- situation. But we are making new highs here. And again, we got a nice recovery not that long ago. At, at the end of May, we were down at 130. So here we are at 138. Take advantage of it. Those prices are moving up. Good news for producers who've had a tough couple of years. Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Thanks for joining it, folks. Check out his newsletter. I really appreciate it. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Have a great day. And tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk with Megan Kaiser of the United Soybean Board about their priorities heading out the remainder of 2022. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network.